Okay, um, Easter message, take one. Well, church, here we are again, gathering remotely, making the best of this odd situation that we find ourselves in. And, and I'm thankful we can do it, but I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm starting to really miss being with you, my friends. There's just no substitute for gathering together to worship. I, I miss that so much, how much I'm longing to be with you again, gathered in this place, to hear you sing, to hear you worship, to see the joy in your faces. I miss your smiles. I miss the laughter. I miss the handshakes. I miss the hugs. I miss it all. I miss seeing some of you walk into our sanctuary 10 minutes after service start because you're out in the foyer jabbing with your friends. And I miss all of that. And so how great it will be when we're back together again. And I want to thank you. So many of you have reached out with words of gratitude, words of encouragement. Many of you have even reached out with words of concern. You're worried for me because you know that I'm an extrovert and I'm a hugger and, and you've reached out to say, how you doing, Adam? How you doing with all this quarantine? Some of you have even reached out to my wife, Kathy, and, and said, how's Adam doing? Because you know, Kathy's an introvert. So you've worried for her that I'm bugging her and I, I am bugging her a lot. And so I can't wait to be together again with you all. But here we are. It's Easter Sunday, 2020. And I want you to know that I, I do have a, a word that the Lord has given me for our church. This morning on Easter Sunday, 2020, what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you a message about the most important thing that you may ever hear about the resurrection. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to uncover for you an often neglected aspect of the resurrection. So this morning, I'm not going to preach to you a sermon convincing you of the truth of the resurrection, although the resurrection is absolutely true. That's not my message this morning. We've preached many sermons here proving the historicity of the resurrection of Christ. Very important. But that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I'm not going to talk with you about the importance of the resurrection, although the resurrection is so critical, so important. It's critical for salvation. No, this morning, I want to talk to you about something a little bit different. This morning, what the Lord has laid on my heart is a sermon about the beauty of the resurrection, the blessing of the resurrection. The resurrection is not just true. It's not just important. Friends, did you know the resurrection is absolutely beautiful? The resurrection is a better way to live. There is a blessing, an indescribable blessing that is only made available to people who come in contact with Jesus, the risen Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning on Easter Sunday, 2020. You know, when Jesus would interact with people, he would very rarely try to prove to them the truth about himself. He wouldn't argue with people. When Jesus would interact 
with people, most often what he tried to do is to get at their hearts with beauty. He would go after their hearts with the blessing of, of his identity. He would try to connect in their place of deepest need and bring into that place the power and the beauty and the truth of the resurrection. And the story that we're going to look at this morning is the perfect example of that. It's in John chapter 4. Will you turn there with me? It's the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels that Jesus had with anyone, even his own disciples. I know many of you will be familiar with it. It's the interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And I'd like to read that story to you this morning. We listen in. Here's what happened. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. In just a minute, I'll keep reading, but would you pay attention to that phrase that I just read? John says, he had to pass through through Samaria. It's a fascinating phrase because actually we know that often Jews did not pass through Samaria. They would actually go out of their way to go around Samaria. When they wanted to leave Judea to head north to Galilee, they would avoid Samaria because of a long-standing tension and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans that ran along racial and religious lines. The reality is Jesus, from a geographical standpoint, did not have to pass through Samaria. So many scholars believe this isn't a geographical have to. This is a missional have to. It's as if Jesus had a divine appointment with someone. He had to pass through Samaria. Very interesting. Here's what happened next. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which means the very middle of the day, noon, the hottest part of the day, a time when no one would come to draw water, certainly not a woman who was alone, which is what Jesus is about to encounter. So for whatever reason, the encounter that Jesus is about to have, he's about to have it with a woman who comes to the well at a time of day where she won't have to interact with anyone. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And not only that, in this culture, it would have been very odd for a man to approach and talk to a woman that he did not already know. So everything about this interaction is already countercultural. Jesus is crossing all kinds of cultural barriers to interact with this woman. But look what happens next. Verse 10 is pure beauty. 
Many people describe this as the second most beautiful gospel verse in the entire book of John. Second only to John 3.16. Here's what Jesus said to the woman. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Would you just hover over those two words for a minute? Living water. That's really what I want to focus on this morning. Living water. How evocative. How astounding. You know, in my Christian life, I've read this story countless numbers of times. And in my ministry as a pastor, I've gone to this story time and time and time again to preach the gospel, to share the good news of who Jesus is. But in no time in my Christian life has, have those two words, living water, gripped me as much as they have gripped me this week. So powerful. Living water. What was Jesus after here? Was he simply trying to make a contrast between stale water, water that sits still, water that's dead, like the water that would often the Jews would hold in cisterns? Was he just trying to contrast that kind of stale water with the kind of water that would bubble out of a spring? Often that water would look like it was alive. It was bubbling and moving. Maybe that's all Jesus is doing. But then again, he could have described the water as fresh water or, or moving water. No, it seems to me that Jesus is trying to do something else here. And he often did this. He would often take really simple, concrete, familiar images that everyone would understand, like water or light or bread. And he would seize upon those images to draw people into a deeper spiritual reality. And that's what Jesus is doing in this interaction with this woman he says, you've come because you're thirsty and I want to tell you about a different kind of water, what I'm going to call living water. Here's what he says next. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now what's happening here is that John is using a rhetorical device that's really powerful. It's called insider knowledge. And basically what, he, what he's doing is the reader knows that there are things that are going on in this interaction that the characters in the story are not aware of. So the reader knows that Jesus and this woman 
are basically having two different conversations. They're talking at two different levels. The woman thinks Jesus is just talking about something material, something physical, a water that you can draw from a well. But of course, the reader knows that Jesus is talking about something very different. He's trying to press her to think at a deeper level than merely physical water. And so let's make explicit this morning something that the reader already intuitively knows about this living water. And how I want to do this is I want to share with you three observations about this living water today that I hope will open up your hearts to a greater appreciation for the beauty and the blessing of the resurrection. Here is observation number one. It's going to sound a little interesting at first, but I want you to think about this with me. It goes like this. The human soul experiences thirst. Our souls experience thirst, not just our mouths or our throats. We know that Jesus is not talking about physical thirst anymore with this woman. That's obvious. But what he is saying is that the soul has something that's like physical thirst. When you go without water, your body gets thirsty. But also, my friends, when you go without God, your soul gets thirsty. Your body was made to live on water. But here's the thing, my friends, do you realize your soul was made to live on God? You were made to drink God. You were made for God. Never forget that. And so this metaphor of living water, what it's doing, it's a signpost that's pointing us to our deep universal longing, something that if we're being honest, we all know is there. Jesus is saying, I've got something that your soul needs as profoundly as your body needs water. I'm here to offer you something that is as satisfying to your soul as water is to your parched mouth. Thirst is one of the most profound experiences. Jesus wants her to connect to her physical thirst because he knows it'll take her to a deeper need that she has. Have you ever thought about how, how strong of a feeling it is when you're deeply thirsty? It's so powerful. Do you know why we get thirsty? We get thirsty, scientists have discovered, because the human body is 50% water. We are water. <laughs> The average male is 59% water. The average female is about 51% water. Your lungs are 83% water. Your brain is 73% water. Some of you are thinking that explains a lot, right? Doesn't it? And so what happens is the reason you thirst is because your body is becoming depleted of the very thing that it requires the most to function. And Jesus takes this universal human experience, thirst, to point the woman to a much deeper universal longing, a thirst that can never be removed through her nonstop trips to the well. No matter how much she drinks of that water, she'll thirst again. When Kathy and I lived in Eugene, I... 
I became friends with a man down in that community who was extremely successful. One of the most high powered, successful people I'd ever met. His life was nonstop Go, go, go. The most fast-paced, high-powered guy I'd ever met. This was the guy with the personal jet. This was the guy with the thriving business. This was the guy with the garage full of fast cars. I'd never met anyone who was constantly moving, 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 going, going, going. And we became friends, and he would periodically asked to hang out with me. I, I couldn't understand why, but we would meet. We would always meet at a restaurant bar in downtown Eugene and um, we'd sit in this bar and there was actually a drink on the menu that was named after this guy. He was the most interesting guy that I've ever met. I could never understand why he wanted to spend time with me. And one day we were, we were talking and in a moment of absolute vulnerability, he said to me, he said, do you want to know the reason why I'm always moving, always going? And I asked him, no, tell me, why, why are you always on the go? And he said, I'm, on, I'm always moving. I'm always going. I'm always driven because if I'm being honest, there's a part of me that's desperately frightened that if I ever slowed down, I would realize how unsatisfied I am by all of this. You know, at the risk of sounding a little bit callous, there's a part of me that's actually a little bit thankful for this whole crisis that we're in. For the most part, I, I, I view it as being horrible and, and annoying and inconvenient, but there's one part of this crisis of the quarantine that I feel like is actually good, and it's this, folks. It's forcing us to slow down. It's stripping us of the wells that we've dug so that we realize those wells are not quenching my thirst. My friends, there is a part of you that is soul. You are not just a physical being. There is a part of you that is spirit. And it's Easter Sunday, 2020. And what I want to say to you this morning is that part of you that's spirit that part of you that's soul, if that part of you goes too long without God, if that part of you goes too long without the goodness of God, the glory of God, the power of God, the beauty of God, if, if you go too long without drinking God, that part of you, that spiritual part of you will die of thirst. And so that leads me to my second observation that I want to share with you this morning. It goes like this. I know you'll get this. Everything about the earthly ministry of Jesus, everything about his life, his teaching, his activity was all aimed at quenching this thirst. That's why he came. Jesus didn't come to blow our minds with philosophy he did not come to earth to be a self-help guru. He didn't come to teach people how to, how to become their best, self, their best selves now, how to live a better life. Jesus came to do one thing. All of his teaching, all of his interactions, all of his activity was geared towards one thing, to quench the thirst of our souls. That's why he came. 
And now you can understand why he said the most outrageous things. See, when people don't understand this, they, they hear the words of Jesus and they think, what kind of person makes claims like this? What kind of person would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We hear those words and we think that is outrageous. What kind of a person says that? The only person who would say something like that is a person who knows that he's here to quench the soul's thirst for God. Jesus would say things like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's outrageous. What kind of a person would say that? One time Jesus stood up in a festival in the middle of Jerusalem where they had gathered to celebrate God's gift of water. It's called the Feast of Booths. And in the very last day of this festival, Jesus stood up so that everyone in the entire festival, all eyes were drawn to him. And he stood up and he screamed at the top of his lungs, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly like the passage we just read. And the reader's hearing this and thinking, this is outrageous. Who makes a claim like that? The amazing thing is that right after that, John explains it and he says, now when Jesus said this, he was talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, which had not been poured out yet. The Holy Spirit would be poured out after Jesus had risen from the dead. But the reader is hearing this and thinking, Who's, who talks like this? Who's, this is outrageous. This is audacious. But wait a minute. What if it's true? What if Jesus Christ is the only person who has ever visited our earth? who can actually quench the thirst of our souls. Jesus said to the woman, if you only knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me to quench your thirst instead of me asking you. I don't even think you realize who you're talking to. He said to her in verses 13 and 14, he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And who is it that's saying this? This is Jesus, the Lord, the, the one who has come to go to a sinner's cross. He's on his way to a cross and he knows he'll suffer there. He's on his way into the darkness of a tomb where he will experience death. He's on his way to the power of resurrection. And why? Because he knows this is the key to bringing into the world the greatest gift that the world could ever know. Finally, living water to quench the thirst of our souls. He said, the water that I give him will become in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said, if, if you drink the water that, that I can give you through my death and, and my burial and my resurrection, if you drink that water, can I make you a promise? You will never be thirsty again. And so don't you realize the resurrection, it's not just true. 
It's not just critical. It's beautiful. And my friends, can I make you a promise? If you go to Christ today in faith, if you ask him for this water, can I promise you something? And it's not my promise. It's Christ's promise. If you receive by faith that gift of living water, you'll never thirst again. You'll never have to look anywhere else for fulfillment, ever. Jesus said, this is what I mean by eternal life or what Jesus called life abundant. It begins now. It begins in this life. Eternal life begins now and it involves no longer being thirsty for God because you are filled with the spirit of God. What a blessing. We go to Christ today so that your soul can drink how I pray you will. In just a moment, I'm gonna describe how to do that. And I'm actually gonna lead you in a prayer where you could ask Christ for that living water. But first, let me share one more observation about this living water. It goes like this. The final goal of living water, the ultimate goal of this gift is to turn you and I into worshipers. That's the point that we would finally become worshipers. Here's what happened next. The woman had asked Jesus for some of this water. She still didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And so Jesus said to her next, hey, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, um, that, you, that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I like that. I perceive you're a prophet. She said, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I love that phrase. Did you know the Father is seeking true worshipers? I love that. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us, all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. An amazing, amazing passage. But isn't it interesting? Did you notice in this passage that at no point did Jesus ask this woman to become religious? At no point did he ask her to become a Christian. At no point did he ask her to become an evangelical. Maybe you run in circles where those words, evangelical, Christian, religious, maybe those are are dirty words in the circles you run in. And here's what I want to say to you. Jesus doesn't care about any of those titles. That's not what he's after. Jesus is after something else. 
He's going after a different thing. He wants to talk to her about worship. And here's why. Friends, Jesus knows that this woman, you know what her real problem is? Her problem is a worship problem. She has misplaced her worship. That's why he goes after the whole thing about her husband. It's, it's really interesting. Did you notice? She had said to him, give me some of that water. And then Jesus, out of nowhere, and it almost seems rude. It seems, it seems um, imposing. He says to her, go call your husband. Why would he say that to her? Why would he meddle in her personal life like that? My wife likes to to joke with me about the first time we met when we were 18 years old. She says, the first time we met, you were, you were, you meddled in my personal life. You, you pried into my life. I, I remember seeing Kathy sitting alone in the cafeteria at Willamette University. And I walked over and I sat down and I'd never met her before. And we started talking and I asked her on that day, so Kathy, are you dating? And she said, actually, I am dating. And the next question I asked for her was, and how's that going for you? And she couldn't believe that I asked her that question, that I would meddle in her life like that. Here's Jesus meddling in this woman's life. And why? Why would he do this? Here's what I think is happening. Jesus knows something. He knows he says to her, if you're, if you're ever going to totally understand this living water, this soul satisfaction that I'm offering you, I need you first to realize that you're already trying to find it. You're already digging wells trying to find it. You're just trying to find it in men. And if you try to quench your thirst by going after any other thing in this world, whether it's men or women or relationships or money or power or success or pleasure, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what well you dig. If you go there, Jesus says, you will continue to thirst. Okay. Can you go through that list again? Yeah. Oh. So I need to, so can you, can you go pick up from that? Absolutely. Money, power. Totally. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Oh, it's fine. I can, I can go back to that phrase. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to ever totally understand this living water, I'll just start there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost done. So, okay, great. Yeah. That's the downside of this camera is that it doesn't want a 30 minute continuous. No problem. Hey, thanks, Kylie. Yeah, it's really, really good, man. Better than my, if my Easter message was do better, try harder. So <laughs> this
here's, I think, what Jesus is, is doing in this interaction. Here's what he's saying to the woman. He's saying, if you're ever gonna totally understand this living water, if you're ever gonna understand this soul satisfaction that I'm offering you, I need you first to realize that you're already trying to find it. You're already digging wells to find it. You're just trying to find it in men. And Jesus wants to say to her, if you try to quench your thirst by going after any other thing in this world other than me, whether it's men or women or relationships or power or success or money or pleasure or leisure, it doesn't matter. If you try to quench your thirst with any of those things, no matter how many times you go to the well, you will thirst again you will thirst again. You're pouring yourself out into these relationships because you believe that in them, you'll finally find your soul satisfaction. And don't you realize Jesus is talking about worship here. This is what worship is. Pouring ourselves out to something. One of the greatest definitions I've ever heard of worship was by a theologian named Harold Best. He defined worship as continuous outpouring. He said, we're we're created in the image of the triune God. And Harold described the the triune God, the, 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 the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, they're described in scripture as continuously pouring themselves out into one another in unceasing communication, love, friendship, and joy. And then they create us. We're created in the image of this triune God. And because we're created in the image of a God who's continuously outpouring, we ourselves were created for that, to continuously outpour. And Jesus says, that's what worship is. Worship is pouring yourself out to something. Jesus says, the question is not, will you worship? We are all worshiping, always. The question is, who are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? And will that object of our worship actually satisfy our souls? Jesus says, don't you realize I've come to fix your worship problem? And how's he gonna do that? Well, He said in verse 23, he said, the hour is coming and is now here when you'll no longer have to worship in a temple. You'll be able to worship the Father in spirit and truth. Everywhere in John where Jesus uses this word hour, where he says my hour or the hour is coming, he's always talking about the same thing. He's always talking about the moment of his death. That's the hour. The hour is coming. Jesus is saying, I'm talking about that hour when I'll hang on the cross. And Jesus connects that to worship. He says, yeah, right now there's a temple in Jerusalem. And right now in that temple, there are priests who are offering sacrifices. Worship is happening, but I'm about to die. And when that happens, you won't need temples anymore. You'll be able to worship the father freely anywhere in spirit and in truth. Yes, right now in the temple, sacrifices are being offered to atone for sin, but all of those sacrifices were actually always pointing to me. I am the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. I am the priest to end all priests. I am the temple to end all temples. The hour is coming when I will finally die on a sinner's cross 
and rise again in power. And why? To fix your worship problem. To eliminate any barrier, any mediator, so that you can go to God directly. So profound. Jesus says, you know how I'll do it? I'll thirst myself. I, I've, I discovered something this week in my studies that I had never seen before. John is the only gospel writer who records that on the cross, when Jesus was hanging on the cross in chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said, I thirst. Amazing. And you say, well, yeah, of course he was thirsty. He was physically thirsty. No, 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 no. Go back and read it. There's way more going on there than just physical thirst. In a gospel where water is a theme throughout the whole thing, living water, we come to the cross and we have our Savior hanging on a cross saying, I've come to bring you living water and now I'm actually experiencing thirst. I think Jesus was talking about spiritual thirst. Here is the Savior of the world allowing himself to experience for the first time what it would, be, what it would feel like to be cut off from the flow, from the satisfaction of being in relationship with his heavenly father, Jesus said, I thirst. He was experiencing the heat, the dryness, being cut off from the father. He was taking on our cosmic spiritual thirst so that we would never thirst again. My friends, that is someone worth your worship. That's someone worth your continuous outpouring. That is someone who can actually quench your thirst today. And so it's Easter morning, 2020. And I want to ask you today, will you worship Jesus today? Will you turn to him? Will you place your hope in him today? I'd like to pray about that with you. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this incredible story. What a profound conversation. What a profound interaction and how much we need to hear it, Lord. And I want to pray especially for those of us, all of us who have become aware of how thirsty we are for you, Lord. A thirst that's, that's deeper than just our physical thirst, that spiritual longing to be connected to our creator. And so I'm praying especially today for my friends who have joined us, who are coming to the realization for the very first time, perhaps, I'm thirsty and I've been going to wells that I have dug. And no matter how much I drink of those wells, I thirst again. And so if that's you, would you just say this very simple, very humble prayer along with me? Lord, I believe everything that I've heard today about Jesus. I believe in who Jesus is. I believe that Jesus came from heaven. I believe that he is the son of the living God. I believe that he came to earth, not just to, to teach and to heal and to impact people, but he came to die. He came to take my spiritual thirst upon himself. He came to hang on a cross in my place. He rose again in power. And so it is with great joy, Lord, that I turn to Jesus to ask for living 
water. Father, will you quench my thirst today? Thank you, Lord, for those prayers. Thank you for the the prayer of humble faith, Lord. We love you, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, friends. I'd like to invite you now to worship with us. We're going to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give today as an act of worship, you can give online or you can follow the instructions in our happenings for how to give. And one last thing I'd like to say to you before we before we turn off here is I'd like to invite you back next week. Maybe maybe today was your first time with us. Uh, to, the sermon this morning was the first in a series of several that we're going to preach on where each week we're just going to look at a different blessing of the resurrection. We're calling this series The Abundant Life. And so tune in next Sunday to hear more about how beautiful the resurrection is. God bless you.